Hey guys, this is Mike Mahaffey, the old bastard BJJ guy, here for BJJ Mental Models. Back in my day, we had to walk uphill in the snow both ways to get to the academy just to learn some crappy technique from a random purple belt. You kids have it so easy, because now you can just subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium and get tons of great audio courses to learn new techniques, enhance your mindset, and entertain yourself. You can even get personalized rolling reviews from some of your favorite BJJ Mental Models coaches, including me. It's like having your own seminar, you spoiled little whippersnappers. So what are you waiting for? Subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium right now, get off my lawn, and go train. Hey, welcome to BJJ Mental Models episode 28. I'm Steve Kwan. I'm Matt Kwan. BJJ Mental Models is your guide to a conceptual and intelligent BJJ approach. We're done our five-part instructor series, so back to actual jiu-jitsu. Yep. We're going to talk about some uh, something that is very important when it comes to sweeping, takedowns. It is the concept of kuzushi. Are you referring to the famous Japanese professional wrestler and MMA fighter, Kazushi Sakuraba? <laughs> Uh, no, I'm talking about the Kazushi that works. Oh. <laughs> People are going to be pissed about that. <laughs> Sorry, I love Sakuraba, but like, man, he should have stopped fighting a long time ago. Well, why don't you explain exactly what we mean by Kazushi? So, Kazushi is just the, uh, the concept of breaking your opponent's balance before you launch an attack. Uh, whether it's a sweep or it's a, a takedown or even a submission if you can gain if you can generate kazushi and break your opponent's posture structure and base then you're going to have uh, an opponent who has fewer resources to defend and then it's going to be easier and more efficient to land an attack so um it's something that takes experience and uh you know judo is heavily based upon kazushi uh it's you know it's that's kind of the the foundational concept before launching a throw but for beginners it can be a really difficult thing to find because you know it, it takes a lot of feel and a lot of experience before you finally can understand where your opponent's base and and their center of gravity is and that's we're going to discuss some of those things today and unfortunately a lot of schools don't talk about the importance of kazushi in fact a lot of schools don't talk about kazushi at all in judo Everyone talks about it, but in jiu-jitsu, a lot of the time when you're learning a technique, they kind of walk through all of the steps that you have to do in order to make the move work. I think about when I was taught back in the day how to do an arm bar and, you know, you, you grab and control the arm and then you put your foot on your opponent's hip so they can't pull the arm back and then you turn to the side. And if you try to do this against an opponent who's just sitting there, it's probably not going to work because your opponent is in base the whole time. But what nobody ever teaches you is that the most important thing, if you want to do something like that, is not to follow all the steps perfectly. The most important thing is to get Kazushi. Because if your opponent is sitting there and they have base and they have solid structure, it's going to be really hard to armbar them if you, even if you go through all of the steps properly. Mm -hmm. You need to get them off balanced in order to get to the point where you can really apply that armbar. Yeah, and it's something that only comes with experience. Like one of my favorite examples of of Kazushi through a submission would be the helicopter armbar from the spider guard position. This is the technique where you have your feet on your opponent's hips and you elevate them uh, with the sleeve grips. And then once they're over top of you, suspended in air and 
they basically have no connection with the ground. It's very easy to spin them and land them into the arm bar. And this only happens once you can generate that, that Kazushi and, and get under your opponent's center of gravity and have them in motion. Um, trying and it to- also only happens to white belts. <laughs> That's not true at all. <laughs> totally effective move. But it, it, it takes... It takes a lot of uh, practice to be able to actually bring your opponent over top of you and make this work. It might seem like a move that, like you said, only works on white belts, but it actually, it works on someone if you can break their base posture and structure. Yeah, there are some other moves too, like the balloon sweep, for example, is really a Kazushi sweep. If you if you try to do that move and you don't actually have Kazushi, you're going to get your guard passed, right? Like, this is a move that is totally dependent on you being able to break your opponent's base so badly that they're basically on top of you. Yeah, so uh, what sh- we should talk about momentum first. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about this. You had some sub-concepts for Kazushi that you wanted to go into. The first one being momentum. So, Matt, what is the importance of momentum when it comes to Kazushi, and how do you apply it? Well, if if my opponent is already in motion in a particular direction... Um, I'm going to want to try and sweep them in the direction that they're already moving in. It's uh, and this this isn't always you know we're going to talk about action reaction later on, but essentially if an, if my opponent is moving towards me and I try and sweep them in the other direction, I'm going to basically it's going to feel like I'm hitting a wall. It's always going to be more effect uh, effective to land sweeps and takedowns in a situation where my opponent's momentum is already moving in that direction. How you create that movement is uh, is the art of Kazushi, right? Uh, momentum is just my opponent's center of gravity moving past their posts of support. So, you know, if you can imagine yourself in spider guard and your opponent standing over top of you or in front of you, um, their bases of support are their legs. If I were to move them to one side, uh, if, if their center of gravity moves far past their 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 uh their pillars of support their legs they're going to have to either base with their hands or they're going to get swept so uh cr- it's important to understand how to create that momentum and also you know this might take a few uh attempts if i'm in a single leg x guard and i try and sweep my opponent usually on the first time your opponent's going to compose their base they're going to posture and they're going to get ready to start untangling your single leg x guard so it's important to know how can you always keep them off balance which directions can you take them and then hopefully you'll send them in a direction where they're not expecting it or maybe they're correcting their base uh in in that direction and simultaneously you're able to launch a a sweep into that direction all these things are going to add up to make a more efficient sweep that's a really good point and something that i think everyone has um made as a mistake before which is you try something on your opponent and then they they are able to adjust and they get their base and they kind of like hunker down and you still keep trying the move (laughs) and it's it's just not going to work right like the most common example i can think of is if i get single leg x guard on someone and i'm trying to just you know do the sweep where you kind of buckle their knee and you make them fall to the side and they base down on you you're not going to be able to get that sweep anymore but there are other things you can do you can take advantage of the fact that your opponent is now based in a different direction and you can try to tip them into that direction as well so in a lot of ways um you know getting kazushi is about not not running into the wall right you know not attacking your opponent where they are strongest but understanding where the weakness is in their structure and pushing them into that direction yeah and 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 the sorry to interrupt the path of least resistance is essentially where we want to sweep our opponent and, and attack our opponent right um Sorry, you were saying? Yeah, no, no, no. So, um, yeah, as you were saying, so the the objective really is you want to know where someone's pillars of support are, and then you basically want to 
tip them, tip them past that. If you can, you want to utilize the momentum they have, right? If they're already moving in one direction, then that's, it's going to be far easier to exploit them in that direction than trying to take them in the opposite direction. Um, now, in terms of how you get that momentum, you know, if you've got someone at a, if someone is charging at you, then yeah, you can exploit their momentum. But if someone is at a dead stop, what mm. kind of strategies do you employ to try to generate that momentum that allow you to force them to to tip over and go past their their pillars of support it's definitely um you know it's it's basically action reaction is is the idea of of moving in in opposite directions to generate movement and that is going to create opportunities and again all these things take experience usually when you're on the bottom you know if you're gonna let's say you're in half guard and you you're trying to come up into like a dog fight position you know usually if you shoot up in the underhook the first thing that's going to happen is your opponent's going to sprawl heavy on you they're going to try and shut down your underhook so you're going to hit a wall instantly um it's important to understand you know to have two directions where you can go that will open up opportunities for you. So I might try and get up with my underhook and I might try and pull my opponent on top of me. And the, you know, these, these acts of, of Kazushi break my opponent's balance and give me opportunities. And a lot of the time now when I'm, when I'm training, I'll do this just instinctively. I won't even think about getting a sweep. I'll just start immediately coming up and then going the other direction immediately because I know that my opponent's more than likely it's predictable that they're going to stuff my first attempt. So if you have that mindset where you can set up several attempts in different directions, you're already going to have your opponent way off balance and that's going to make, you know, all these all these techniques way easier because the goal in jiu-jitsu is to uh, you know, to to perform these tasks with the most efficiency possible and uh, the best way of doing that is to, you know, create kazushi, get an action reaction going. A big a big uh advocate for action reaction is Cobrinha and he's you know a legend in jiu-jitsu yeah what you've just described is something that um in, in my head i refer to as technique chaining which is that against a good guy a single technique is not going to succeed you need to be ready to move in a different direction as soon as you encounter resistance you want to take the path of least resistance so if you try something on your opponent and they stop you you don't want to keep trying to drive in that direction you want to switch course and against anyone above white belt you're going to need more more than one technique in order to achieve a goal. You're not going to be able to just hit a scissor sweep and then it's done. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to try one move and exploit the openings that creates to then successfully attack another move. At a high level, when you see like, you know, like a black belt pass someone else, it might not look like it, but a lot of the time they're transitioning between 10 techniques really, really, really quickly. And each one of those creates just a little bit of motion where you can exploit and then get through to get a pass or a sweep or a submission or, or an escape. Yeah. So um, in, in that sense, a good, a lot of Kazushi is understanding that it's not going to be as simple as just like, I pull you and then I have Kazushi. A lot of it is exploiting action reaction or the space and momentum that is created by switching between multiple moves. Mm -hmm. And, and, um, like that, when you're talking about how you try to hit a scissor sweep and it, it's not gonna, uh, not just gonna work on the first time. This is usually the, the result that happens when you learn things and you just learn moves, right? You, you learn steps to moves and you try and execute those moves and then you wonder why it, it doesn't work. It's because you're trying to attack someone who has full alignment or they, they see the move coming. 
they react and and uh, and recompose their alignment, and then it's it's like trying to sweep a wall. Where the real goal is to try and set up multiple sequences, and then hopefully, you know, on and against a high level opponent, it's going to you know take up to ten different attempts before you can finally sweep someone because there's going to be so much countering and reacting going on. Um, yeah, if if you are uh, if you push into your opponent. The almost the immediate reaction their opponent's going to give is to resist. This is common throughout all grappling. So the important thing as the practitioner is to understand how to turn that reaction into uh, how how to make it power for yourself. How to how to anticipate your opponent's reaction and then quickly change direction so that that reaction becomes the direction that you're trying to to achieve if that makes sense so yeah using it's basically the whole uh idea behind judo is using your opponent's force against them and that's that's essentially what we're describing here and you don't even need to actually physically push or pull your opponent you can force a movement out of them by faking them out and force it like you know for example if you like fake a level change they might drop for a sprawl even if you never actually touch them exactly so so that's another thing you know in judo you're gonna see kazushi um usually expressed in form of of what we call uchikomi where you're you know you're practicing your um you're practicing your entries for your throws basically and all of those throws usually involve a kazushi where you're off off putting your opponent's uh base in a certain direction where and that's the direction that you're going to throw and uh judoka all over the world practice this movement over and over and over and over until it just becomes second nature so that this is an integral setup to their throw. Uh, this actually involves shifting our opponent's center of gravity in a certain direction. Whereas in wrestling, um, which is a sport obviously without no without a gi, you're not going to see as much kazushi but more faking. You're going to see level changing. Uh, faking involves a lot of different things from you know wrist control to snap down to level changes to even just just uh, brief like uh, fakes of, of snap downs like uh, clinches fake fake clinching and then that will generate a reaction where you can now uh, you know get inside and penetrate and usually a lot of the faking and wrestling what you're trying to do is actually either create an angle you're trying to get uh, a level change where your eyes are below your opponent's eyes or you're trying to create a fake that allows you to get uh, around your opponent's arms which are kind of their main frames and if you can do that you, you have a good chance of getting inside with some good timing and possibly landing a takedown so it's a very different approach judo and wrestling how they set up their fakes and their entries but one thing's for sure you can practice your uh you know, you can practice takedowns and, and have a really awesome double. You can have a really awesome Sayanagi. You can have a great, you know, uh, you can have a really great uh, hip toss or whatever. But if you don't have the setups that are integral to those throws or takedowns, then it's going to be very difficult for you to land those takedowns in sparring. Yeah, a game changer for me was when I realized that making stuff happen in jujitsu is less about doing the technique itself and more about the setup to the technique if you look at high level competition in even in mma like a lot of the time the actual technique itself is not executed textbook <laughs> you know like sometimes the armbar might come out looking really ugly um that's just the way it is against a resisting opponent but it is the continual application of kazushi and breaking of alignment that allows you to get that move that you want to exactly. get and when you get that move it doesn't have to be perfect it doesn't have to be textbook because you've broken your opponent's posture structure and base so you it's easier to to execute your game plan against them at that point mm -hmm. and 
and maybe Steve, um, a really important thing is that we define center of gravity. Yeah. Because when you're, especially when you're learning how to play open guards and things like this, you need to know how to keep your opponent's balance broken and, and it all comes down to center of gravity. So they're basically your opponent's center of gravity is their mass it's, and, and their mass in between their pillars of support. It's the term that I've used that uh, Rob Bernacki and Rory have, have sort of passed on to me. And I really like that term pillars of support because if you can imagine your opponent standing, um, their weight is completely uh, going through the ground in between their legs. If we can shift that center of gravity to outside of one of their legs, now all of a sudden they're way off base. Their, their weight heavily favors one leg. Also, as a result, the other leg becomes very light, very important for when we're talking about sweeps. But the idea of forcing your opponent to base with their hands is a really important concept because this allows you to, you know, land sweeps and it also helps you identify which direction they're going, right? And then, and pushing that center of gravity past is going to be uh, really important for finishing a lot of sweeps. So how do you tell where someone's center of gravity is? Well, you know, you know, the main thing that I do is I actually, um, I imagine their spine, like a scale, uh, like an x-ray almost when you're grappling with someone, imagine the spine is a lever, right? It essentially is the head is a, it's like a lever to the spine. So if I, if I shifted your center of gravity to the left, your spine would now curve to the left. And that's sort of something that I, I think about It's it's really important when you're playing open guards, like a Della Hiva or a single leg X where, you know, some guards like a closed guard, you can actually trap your opponent inside and sit there for long periods of time. Whereas open guards like Spider and Delhaven, all these guards, you have to basically always have your opponent's balance broken. So I always imagine their spine and I always try and move it usually by either using my legs or hopefully like a collar grip or sleeve grips. If you can always have their spine shifting off base and moving their center of gravity, then you're always going to be able to create openings for yourself to get attacks, but also you're going to prevent your opponent from gripping up on you, prevent your opponent from having decent passing sequences. Got it. Makes sense. That's that's a good way to visualize it. So when you think of center of gravity, you're basically thinking of um, effectively where your your opponent's spine is is leaning towards. And ideally, you want to make it lean in a direction where, like you said earlier, it passes past the pillars of support and then they tip over. That's right. Any anyone who's really good at playing like a Della Hiva or a Spider Guard considers where their opponent's center of gravity is and that's how you really create an effective guard mm -hmm. um you do not want to go into a delahiva and just think okay i'm in my delahiva i'm going to play guard now uh usually what happens is a good opponent is immediately going to uh, correct their alignment so that they don't get swept uh right away and then they're going to start breaking your grips and regripping you and then start passing routes so you always have to have your opponent guessing and shifting out of alignment otherwise they pretty much have the resources needed to defend. That's a really good point, and that is that you don't play all guards the same way. Some guards are very control-based. Like, for example, a closed guard is probably the most obvious example. You know, your, your goal there is to clamp down on your opponent. I believe Rob refers to that as a clamp-based guard, right? right? Or um, a half guard. Yeah, right? yeah. and your, your goal there is, is effectively to handcuff your opponent to yourself to, to restrict his mobility. But certain guards, like Della Hiva, for example... 
that's not based on clamping onto a person. That's based on using push-pull to keep them constantly off, off balance. Basically, Delahiva, Delahiva guard is non-stop Kazushi. That's the, the right way to think of it. Because if you stop applying Kazushi, your opponent is effectively out of Delahiva guard. They can do whatever they want. So good people who play Delahiva guard, they're always giving you a bit of a push-pull on the leg. Uh, I mean, my instructor always called it Jello guard because, like, if you do it right, the guy is always wobbling. Right? Um, that's how you play that guard. And and other guards are very similar. Like as an example, um, instep guard or butterfly guard or a lot of the kind of like hook guards that you play um, when, when you're seated, you don't want to you're, assume that you can just sit there and grab onto the guy and control him. Like you need to play these guards in a more reactionary manner where mm-hmm. you're constantly making sure that you're moving to off balance your opponent. That, that doesn't mean that you're scrambly. It just means that you don't want to just sit there because you're not really like locked onto your opponent in any meaningful way. If you just sit there and do nothing to them, they have the ability to just get up and move. So you've always got to be reacting to everything that they're doing. You cannot just sit still and and hope that they sit still with you, right? Um, A mistake that I made a lot when I first started playing Butterfly was, you know, my opponent would, I I might pull Butterfly, but my opponent would just kind of hang out there. And that kind of gave me the false impression that I was doing a good job. (laughs) But in reality, against someone who's playing Butterfly and they're not really doing much, you can just kind to get up and move around, right? If you're going to actually play butterfly or instep guard, you need to have a plan and you need to be ready to move rather than to just sit there. Yeah, definitely all guards are not played the same and you need to know what mechanisms are... Uh, what mechanisms you're using characterize that guard. So like you mentioned, clamp-based guards are more uh, stationary guards where you can actually <clears throat> control your opponent for long periods of time, whereas open guards are going to be like hook-based, frame-based, or a combination of uh, you know two or three different types of guards where there's going to be a lot more movement involved, a lot more uh, Kazushi-based, and a lot more uh, you need to change your angles a lot more to, to prevent the guard from being passed. Makes sense, makes sense. So... When you're in guard, what are some strategies that you would employ in order to create Kazushi? Because I think this is the thing that um, most people miss when they're thinking about Kazushi. They think of it as like a stand-up thing, mm-hmm. but it's equally relevant when you're playing guard. So what are some strategies that you would use from the ground to actually create that Kazushi that will allow you to transition or submit? Well, I mean, you know, we talk about closed guard as if you don't need Kazushi in closed guard. It's actually not true. Uh, you can use your, your legs uh, a lot, specifically your knees or pulling your knees to your chest from the closed guard to make your opponent uh, to break their posture again. You know, one of, one of the things your opponent wants to do before they escape your closed guard is essentially get their back straight and create space between your head and his. So... So to prevent that, you can always use your legs, keep your legs active by pulling your opponent down and and also uh, pummeling their hand position so that you get the inside position is a great way to do it. Or to if, if they keep their elbows, uh, if they expose their arms, maybe you can open their elbows and, and start to break their structure that way as you pull them back into the closed guard. This is going to be even more important when strikes are involved and you want to uh, make sure that your opponent can't posture up to land big damaging strikes. In terms of like a half guard, you know, we um, sometimes you shoot up for an underhook if they're over top of you you can give them a bump in the ass that sort of kicks them forward and forces them to base which gives you an opportunity to come up uh, into a wrestling position or a dog fight position yeah i i really think that effective jujitsu more than anything is just constantly trying to keep your opponent off base and out of his comfort zone right if 
if you let your opponent settle his weight to the point where he can effectively, you know, protect his arms and his legs and uh, settle his weight in such a way that you can't easily tip him, you're making your life pretty hard because at this point you have to now take pretty serious action to actually get them moving again. But if you're always making those little movements, like a good example you gave is, you know, if someone's in half, if you, if someone's in your half guard and you just like give them the knee in the butt that shoots them forward. If you're always making little motions like that and you never let your opponent settle their weight, then they're always going to be slightly off balance. And that's just going to make it way easier to hit any sort of attack. Um, I think that in general, if you know, if you're looking for a submission against someone, the mistake a lot of people make is they just, you know, as we mentioned earlier, they go through in their mind all of the proper steps to achieving an armbar. But in reality, rather than trying to scout a submission and make that submission happen, you're better off just consistently trying to break down your opponent and not going for any one particular move, but just continuously trying to do little like tugs on their arm, on their leg, little switches of the angle to just make sure they're never comfortable. And over time, those kind of add up and it gets to the point where eventually a sweep happens and eventually a submission happens. And you might not really get to choose what sweep or submission happen. But the important thing is that you're, you're not targeting one move. You're not like calling your shot. Mm-hmm. You're just continuously trying to make little attacks on their posture structure and base until they cannot defend any further. Yeah, and and, and for an open guard like a Delaheva, you know, usually my strategy involves. Um, I, I want grips, obviously. In nogi, it's going to be a little bit more difficult, but but having like a collar grip is really great because you have a direct grip to their posture. So you know, you'll see a lot of the higher level guys play with a collar grip just because it is so effective. You can really send your opponent over top of you and and have them uh, moving in a lot of different directions. If your opponent recomposes their base and they you know if you let them stand still then they're going to immediately start breaking grips and passing so it's very important to understand what mechanisms in the Delaheva will manage distance um, you know definitely check out Rob's Nogi Delaheva DVD because it's got some really great uh, Kazushi tips for Delaheva specifically and also uh, changing angle. So, for instance, if I'm if I'm sitting in front of my opponent in Delahiva, I like to be able to have angles where uh, I like to scoot around the back for baby bolos and baron bolos and things like that. I'm not saying everyone needs to have this as part of their game, but understanding how to change angles and and uh, switch directions quickly from the guard will make a very diverse uh, Delahiva guard, and it'll make it very effective. So, managing range, uh, gripping, and uh, changing angles are really important for open guards. Yeah, I think that if there's a lesson here, it's that you need to play um, guard or really any position in jiu-jitsu very dynamically. You're not necessarily trying to just execute one single technique, but it's just a constant game of you maneuvering yourself and and slightly making slight attacks at your opponent's base so that they can just never quite settle into a comfort zone. Yeah, and that takes years. You know, yeah. it, it 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 doesn't happen overnight. But it's important. Like, if you can instill the concept of Kazushi into the newer students, then they're gonna in from day one they're gonna be thinking about breaking base posture and structure uh, structure rather than going for moves. And this is this is kind of the mantra of the whole thi- of the whole alignment concept and what we try and talk about in BJJ mental models. Got it. So. I mean, I guess the question here, we've talked kind of about what, you know, how you sort of continuously apply 
Kazushi and how you use this as a setup for the techniques you want to execute. But I think everyone's been there where, you know, someone is just like, they're just hunkered down like a turtle. You know, they've like, especially a big strong guy where maybe they're in your guard and they just grab on and they've got that really good grip onto your hip and you just can't move. Like you just can't pull them. You can't move them. If when your opponent is in that position and they're basically at a dead stop, especially against someone who's really strong or has a like a tight grip, what do you suggest you do to kind of get the ball rolling? so that you can eventually start to loosen them up. Oh, God. Uh, Rob calls this taking your ball and going home. <laughs> it's uh, it's frustrating. You know, we've all rolled with, with people who do this. And the unfortunate thing is that this is actually quite effective if someone just wants to hunker down and, and be annoying. Um you know, it, it, and it also depends on the context too. If it, if it is a points match and they're ahead on points, it's going to be even more frustrating for you being in the guard. So sometimes creating movement and opening your guard is necessary. Um, you know, if we're talking about a closed guard scenario, but definitely making sure that if I'm going to open my guard, I want to have a frame and I want to be able to get in base right away. Because if I just open my guard and sit there, I'm going to get past, right? But uh, you, you basically are trying to encourage movement by opening up a defense. Uh, sorry, opening up, uh, yeah, opening up a defense to your opponent's offense. So, you know, it's, yeah, stalling is, is really annoying, but very effective. If Especially if you have a minute left and you're winning, it might make sense to just stall out that last minute to get to the next match. Yeah, if if you're ever in that situation where you, you're just having trouble making something happen, like the guy is just, he's really clamped up and from whatever position and you just can't move him. Again, a lot of the time this comes down to the path of least resistance. You know, I try not to attack the guy where he's explicitly strong and defending. So it's hard from guard because if you're playing closed guard and the guy is like postured up and he's got his elbows in, especially if he's really strong, there's not a lot that you can really do to kind of get them moving. But my suggestion, um, again, is rather than trying to do really, really big movements, like trying to do like a big pull uh, with your legs, try just continuously slowly rocking them back and forth. Um, because especially against a strong guy, you know, it's going to be really hard for you to execute like a power, basically like power Kazushi, where you just grab them and pull them and they're off balance. And the problem with doing that kind of thing too is it can leave you open as well. Um, so I prefer in a situation like that, rather than trying to do just like a big single pull, to just kind of continuously move them yeah. and wobble them back and forth. And it does add up. It does, yeah. yeah. Eventually, you know, one of those one of those attempts should, should work. Uh, I mean, you know, depending on size discrepancy and things like that. But you're absolutely right where uh, jiu-jitsu is a game of small movements, not necessarily giant, big, explosive movements. Not to say that you shouldn't make giant, big, explosive movements sometimes, but understanding how to get your partner moving through a, a series of, of small, small micro transit, like exactly micro transitions. That's what's going to open up your partner and, and, and really make the sweeps happen. So sometimes like if I'm in the guard and I have that collar grip for the time being, I'll immediately start pulling that collar around as well as using my legs to shift my opponent's center of gravity. And then once you, once you do shift their center of gravity, it's like, it's like all of a sudden, and you feel a giant, uh, you feel like their weight is lifted and you can finally move them again. And yeah, that's kind yeah, of when yeah. you know that you're, you're, it's time to either go for a technique or to prepare for your opponent's next predictable reaction so you can go the other direction. Exactly. You know, for me, um, a good example of where I've applied this is I've started using single leg X a lot. And, you know, some guys are just very reactive to that. And you go for single leg X. And especially in the gi, they'll like grab your lapel and they'll hunker down on yeah. top of you and they'll try and crush you. And... 
at first I found that really difficult to deal with. But then at some point I kind of thought, you know what? I, I started thinking about my daughter and like my daughter loves it when I like bounce her up and down on my knee. And I thought, I wonder if I can do this from here. So I started just kind of like wiggling and just like moving my hips around. And sure enough, like it's, if you try to do a big power bridge from that position, you're probably not going to have a lot of luck. But if you're just constantly making small micro transitions and just never really being totally stable, eventually you'll, you should create an opening for yourself. Uh, so, and, and this will work against very large opponents too. I find it, it might, I mean, I'm not an expert here, but it might be a better strategy against guys who are just a lot bigger than you. Yeah. And it does help to, know which directions you can take your partner um for example if if i first of all let's say i'm gonna do like a single leg and then i'm gonna finish by running the pipe well first i have to create a kazushi or a setup that allows me to get to my single leg and then once i get to my single leg now i have to actually do it again i have to do i have to have setups to finish my takedown because i'm in the single leg position doesn't mean that i'm gonna get the takedown right Mm -hmm. so you know running the pipe uh, is probably one of the more fundamental finishes for single leg. Yeah. You you can't just run the pipe on a good opponent. If you do that, they're going to hop around. They're going to compensate their base. But if you if you get them moving in the opposite direction first and then quickly change directions, that's when you're going to get a really nice, seemingly effortless takedown. So that's kind of the key is knowing the predictable reactions of your opponent, knowing which directions you can go, and then create that action reaction. Uh, that's that's really the essence of efficient jiu-jitsu. Yeah, and I think the takeaway there is that Kazushi is not just about getting the entry. It's about, it's a constant thing that you're always doing, right? It's you're always, always keeping every your aspect. Point. So it's not like I do Kazushi to get my entry to the move and then I do the move. Kazushi is a constant series of attempts to off balance your opponent. Yeah. It's just maybe, I think, easier to express through takedowns and sweeps. Yeah. It's, it's so visual when you see people do it in judo. Yeah. Yeah. In judo, it's very obvious because you're literally practicing the, the, uh, the pulling movement of your opponent onto you or, or, you know, if you're doing like an Osoto, it's going to be a pushing movement. Um, and it's it's really all about where you're putting your opponent's center of gravity before the throw happens to make it the most efficient you can. Got it. Got it. So in terms of Kazushi, I mean, are, do you have any general ideas as to whether there are better or worse strategies for Kazushi in Gi versus no Gi? Like what, what kind of game plan would you employ mm-hmm. to get Kazushi in one versus the other? I mean, that's going to depend. It, it's going to depend on, on specific situations. Obviously in the Gi, you can, the grips are going to make life a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Uh, like collar grips. But for your opponent like as well. True. Yeah. Your opponent can also hunker down a lot easier as well. So, I mean, my recommendation, um, whether it's gi or no gi, is to have all your hands and, and feet working together. So if I'm going to pull you over top of you, uh, if I'm going to pull you over top of me with a collar grip from the De La Hiva, I'm not just going to rely on that grip. I need to use my legs as well and use my hooks to elevate you. Um, you need to use in jiu-jitsu and this is everything in jiu-jitsu is using both hands and both feet mm-hmm. to accomplish a task you can't just you can't have limbs just doing nothing right yeah so, in, in jiu-jitsu you never want to leave anything on the table like if you're ever doing a move and you have one unused arm or one unused leg or even if your head is not being used for something you're probably not being maximally efficient because you're not using all of the tools that you have at your disposal yeah 
Um, so I, I guess in terms of how you deal with Kazushi, uh, something that we've talked about before is the importance of staying loose. I mean, this is super critical when we're talking about Kazushi, because if you are tensed up, your opponent is going to be able to get Kazushi on you whenever they want, yeah. right? Um, so what you want to do is, is especially important uh, in the context of Kazushi to stay loose, because if you are really, really tense, all it takes is a, like your opponent tugging at your arm and then you're just completely off balance. Yeah, um, because your arm becomes an accessible lever. Yeah, the, kind of one of the miracles of the human body is how adaptable it is to being like knocked off balance. I mean, if you think about it, we've got multiple joints in our arms, we've got multiple joints in our legs, and if someone pushes you, your body immediately knows how to reposition those joints and reestablish base. Um, and th this is actually really impressive. Like, they're just starting to figure out now with robots how to do this. In the year 2019, they're finally starting to figure out how to set it up so that if you push a robot, it can rebalance itself. It's a lot more impressive than it sounds. I find it terrifying. It is a little bit terrifying. <laughs> uh, oh man, have you seen that new robot dog that they started selling? Oh guys, God, guys, now look, they have dogs. Yeah, it's Does a it robot shoot dog. bees out of their mouths? It, it might. This is like the beginning <laughs> of like some video game dystopic nightmare. I mean, it's it, it, within like two years, we're going to be doing like BJJ Mental Models episode 200 on how to like fend off robot attack dogs. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually an episode I want to do, how to use BJJ on an attacking dog. That would be, yeah. Hey, hey, Matt and I have definitely used BJJ on dogs before, on the family dogs. And I'll tell you, it works. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if the dog is old and decrepit and doesn't like to bend. Uh, oh. Anyway, <laughs> so uh, on, on that topic, yeah, you want to definitely stay, stay loose. Like the body does have the ability to accommodate a lot but if you tense up your arm, mm. then you lose all of the motion in those joints and it makes it really easy for your opponent to exploit you. Yep. Cool. Um, on that topic, Matt, I, anything else that you want to talk about regarding Kazushi? Uh, yeah, well, the, just to add on to the staying loose aspect of it all, you'll, uh, if you guys are uh, just learning judo, um, the staying loose is one of the most important things you can do. Not to say that you want loose grips because you mm -hmm. want to have good grips, but what you don't want is to have stiff arms and you don't want to be, uh, you know, like the old two white belts at a jujitsu competition, basically just stiff arming each other, uh, until the end of the match. Yeah. That, that, the that's feet. the ultimate take uh, stand up game of jujitsu is just frustration. Just frustrate the guy until someone pulls guard. Exactly. Like if you notice good, good judo fighters, what they do is they have grips, but they keep their arms super loose just until the point of yeah. when they're going to go for Kazushi and throw. This makes it, it almost masks what you're trying to do to your opponent because your opponent doesn't feel the rigidity in your arms. So, mm. You know, when you're going for throws and things like this, always try and keep your arms loose until the last second so that your partner can't read what you're going to do and also can't access your arms as levers. Yeah, the, the importance of masking your intentions is really, really critical because um, if, you know, if your opponent can feel your intentions, it will create an immediate action reaction. And we, talk, we talked about that earlier, how the human body is very intelligent about automatically reacting to uh, incoming force, right? If your opponent can feel what you're going to do because you're tense or you're visible, moving in that direction, then they're going to have their defenses up by the time that you're able to move in that direction. So if you keep loose and you don't telegraph your movements, it makes it a lot easier that you're going to catch or a lot more likely to catch your opponent off guard. And, and to your point earlier, when we say staying loose, that doesn't mean you're like a limp noodle all the time. Uh, there's a time and a place, but it means that when you do apply force, you apply it with intent at the right moment. Um, 
the way I like to think of this, and we've spoken about this before, is uh, it's like cracking a whip, right? Especially when you're doing like a judo throw. You're loose, you're loose, you're loose. But then when you do your big movement, at the end of it, there's like a, there's a bang. And that's when all of your force is applied at like a single point in time. Um, and that's how you're able to kind of maximize the power of your, of your force. Uh, that, so you're not always loose. It's just when you do decide to apply force, you do it quickly and with intent. Yeah. And yeah. when you're in, you might be wondering, okay, well, uh, how do I apply this Kazushi idea to my De La Hiva game? How do I apply it to a, this position or, or whatever? Um, I would take the frame of mind where I'm going to first try and uh, first, can I identify my opponent's center of gravity? Okay, I can do that. Now I'm going to think, what grips do I need? What what grips and mechanisms can I use to manage the distance and off-balance my opponent? I'm going to try and identify the directions that I can off-balance my opponent. So usually there's going to be three or maybe even more directions that you can actually move your opponent around. And then I'm going to try and discover what my opponent's predictable reactions are. So once I put all those things together, I should have an idea of how to, how to first of all, prevent my guard from being passed, uh, the grips that I need to off-balance my opponent, which directions I can off-balance them, and also what, uh, what, what, what are my opponent's reactions? What, what are they going to do to stuff me? And once I realize what they what their uh defenses are going to be i should be able to continuously have them off balance so that eventually one of these one of these directions is going to open up and i can actually complete a technique yeah and never never uh especially as you get competing and and training with higher level people never expect the the first two or three attempts to work it's that's why steve was saying just start just create a back and forth micro transitional situation where you're just getting your opponent off balance until you can finally feel that you're going one direction without resistance you're never going to get a good opponent off balance with one or two attempts you always have to uh you know always have to be ready to go multiple times until that you feel that balance get broken and then go yeah, and um, to your point about uh, keeping someone always off balance, something that it occurs to me we should bring up, uh, you're not just using your arms to like pull or push someone or even just your legs. You want to engage your whole body. A mistake that a lot of people make is like when they try to like arm drag someone, they just use their arms. Yeah. You want to actually use your whole body. And, and for example, with Kazushi, a lot of the time you're moving your, it's not just a matter of pulling someone. It's a matter of you moving your entire body so that the placement of your body is now inconvenient for your partner, right? Like with a good arm drag, you're not just pulling the person's arm. You're also stepping in and taking up that space so that now they're at a very awkward angle compared to where they were. Yeah. Like if you're, if you're practicing, say, um, like a Haraya Goshi or, a or a Sayonagi, you know, if you just, you, if you just pull with your arms, it's going to, it's going to feel, first of all, your partner is going to feel extremely heavy, but also you're going to, uh, it's not going to have very much effect. Usually a lot of this, ha- uh, what you want to do when you're using Kazushi is the, uh, where your feet are planted is really important and how you're turning with your hips is really important because that's where all your power comes from. And pretty much any physical exertion is your base and your hips. So using your whole body and uh, everything from your feet connecting to the ground, your posture all the way up to your grips, that's what's going to dictate a strong Kazushi, not just Mm -hmm. your arms. Like I think that arm drag analogy is a really important concept because Mm -hmm. when I do an arm drag on someone, I actually want my hips to turn and I want to turn into them. I don't want to just literally do like a lawnmower start and pull their arm across. It's not, not much is going to happen. It's got to be like a, you know, it has to be all 
all the way rooted from your feet. Yeah, arm drag and, and leg drag are actually kind of unfortunate names because it's not so much about dragging the arm or dragging the leg. It's about moving your entire body to the point where that arm that basically you're taking your opponent out of out of the dominant angle right you're switching them around so that you're by that little tug is part of it but then you put your body into the space where your opponent can no longer face you directly so um anyway uh, on the topic of kazushi matt i have a question for you is it the case that the most powerful form way to achieve kazushi is via the dick post (laughs) actually I kind think, of is. I think yes. Um, and for those of you who don't know what the dick post is, you can check it out on YouTube. Uh, Rob, Rob Bernanke's got um, a position, usually from the X guard or from the uh, from the De- uh, Nogi De La Hiva formula. The dick post is basically you've put your foot on the inside of your partner's thigh and you're doing a leg press straight up into their junk or into their belt. Um, I love how you're making it sound like this is anything other than kicking the guy in the balls. <laughs> basically, basically you are kicking him in the balls. And the reason that this is such a strong Kazushi is because you you have a essentially a leg press movement that is happening right up into the sky. And the leg press movement is a very uh, strong it's a very strong movement for us as people. We're able to to create a lot of, of strength from just pressing our legs straight up. So, yeah, that's a really effective way to get your opponent off base for sure. <laughs> yeah. I, I love how just how dirty your whole school and lineage is. Like, you've got, you guys have, like, dick posts and, like, taint, taint sweep. sweeps and all sorts of just bizarre. Like, you guys need to come up with better names because if you go to a competition and, like, the coach is yelling out, dick post, dick post, like, this this stuff's going to be illegal before you know it. <laughs> First of all, I'm not the one in charge of naming them. Second of all, that is what Rob screams at competitions. <laughs> you, you know what it reminds me of? It's like, um, you, you remember how in, in pro wrestling, like punching someone in, in the balls is illegal in pro wrestling, but there's a move called the inverted atomic drop where you literally lift someone up and then you drop their balls on top of your knee. And that's legal because you didn't kick the person in the balls. You dropped them onto your knee, which just so happened to crush their balls. That's basically what the dick post is. It's like, you're not kicking them in the balls. Yeah. You're just using your leg as a post. So they yeah. are sitting on your ball. Their balls are on top of your knee and they are on your leg and they don't want them to be there. So they're going to fall over. Yeah. They have the choice to get slapped. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the gas pedal it's like it's, it's, it's not exactly the gas pedal because you're not kicking but you're giving them that option you can get swept anytime you want yeah it's like do you want children or yeah. do you want to give or give up these two points you know it's exactly like, it's like you're, you're gonna have to choose between having children or not getting swept and which which is worth more to you really like that's really what the dick post is all about exactly um anything else now that i've totally derailed this is there anything else you want to talk about on kazushi like i guess i guess a good question would be because kazushi is a really hard thing to apply in practice. Mm-hmm. I mean, I it think is. I think probably after listening to this, most people are thinking, okay, well, I, I get what this is now. It's it's the art of off-balancing your opponent. Yeah. I get it. But how do I actually turn this into something actionable? If there were like a few key takeaways, what would you suggest? Like if someone's got to go and do something today, right now to get started with Kazushi, what are the things that you would suggest they do? Well, I mean... You know what I would first do, honestly, is I would type it into YouTube. I would say, I want to see Kazushi in a judo setting. And you're going to see a guy do a bunch of uchikomi on his on his uke. And you're going to see, okay, like now his partner is getting brought up on his tippy toes. This makes sense now because now when he's leaning forward, he's susceptible to be get, to getting thrown. Um, in a sweeping scenario, like a De La Hiva, 
a lot of it is how you use your your collar grip and your hooks to elevate your partner. So, you know, a big mistake. I act, this is actually a good example. A big mistake when I was used to play Delaheva, I would try to elevate my opponent over top of me, but I was doing the wrong thing with my hand. I wasn't achieving Kazushi because in, uh, what what I was doing was the collar grip. I was actually pulling my partner down on top of me, mm. like I was pulling my arm downward in a uh, like a slot machine movement with the mm. collar grip. And what this actually did was help my opponent base out more. Yeah. Uh, the way I, that I describe it to my students when when they're using the collared grip from the Delaheva is imagine you're casting a fishing line. Like you want to like flick your wrist up into the air, up and over your head. And this creates that big elevation movement, of mm-hmm. course, as well as your hooks, right? So so understand, um, you know, the, the little nuances between the movements. If I'm trying to elevate you over top of me, my it makes a big difference how I turn my wrist, how I flick my wrist, which direction I pull you. Usually I want to pull you up and over top of me, not down and towards me. Um, and then, you know, like I said, we're, we're so fortunate to live in a time where there's free videos out there on all, you know, all these people are putting out videos, type in Kazushi for judo, type in, uh, type in Kazushi, see what comes up, Kazushi for sweeps, and you'll see different examples and then try and try and find the little nuanced details. What is the guy doing with his grips? What is he doing with his hooks? How is he, is he pulling him over top of him or is he you know moving into the side and then start to do that in practice and see if you can generate movements um another thing is in practice if you don't do this already uh just see if you can you know if you're playing open guard just see if you can move your partner instead of trying to actually do sweeps and 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 uh submissions see if you can literally move them and always have them trying to recompose their base that's going to be a good sign that you are being successful in breaking your partner's balance yeah, that makes a lot of sense. For me, if there were two takeaways I have from this that I would suggest everyone just keep in mind right off the bat. One is Kazushi is not a phase. It's not like the first thing you do before you do the move. Kazushi is an ongoing process. Um, you never stop trying to to break your opponent's alignment. You're always going for Kazushi. Mm-hmm. You're always trying to slightly move them back and forth um, with these little movements, right? Um, and, or in some cases, big movements, but only once you've like, you've really got it. Then you can kind of go for the whip crack at the end. But it's a constant process. It's not like it's the first step to a move. It's something you're always doing. The second takeaway that I, I would suggest everyone bear in mind is Kazushi is not just a thing you do with your arms or your legs. It engage, You want to engage your whole body. If you're just using your arms to pull or, or to push, you're not really being maximally efficient and you're not going to get the maximal benefit of what you could get if you engaged your whole body. Yeah, and, and quite honestly, uh, I know it might not be the most fun thing to do for the average jiu-jitsu practitioner, but if you can attend like a few judo classes that will help you understand sort of the idea if it maybe you don't have an instructor that that plays a lot of judo or understands how to teach judo um try to seek out a judo instructor that can actually go through some of the throws with you because it will help you wrap your head around the idea of kazushi is basically just setups and breaking balance is what it is is uh that's what makes techniques possible and breaking alignment of course that's what you generate from kazushi absolutely absolutely anything else you want to add or should we wrap this up I don't know. I think that's a good chat. So 
Just recapping the mental models we talked about today, uh, Kazushi, of course, is one of the critical ones. It's the art of breaking alignments. And the, the idea is that if you can keep your opponent out of alignment and off balance, executing any move is going to be a lot easier. Uh, we talked about the path of least resistance, which is super important in the case of Kazushi. If your opponent is based in a particular way, you don't want to try to you know off balance them in the way where they're strong. You want to look for the place where they're weak. We talked about technique chaining, meaning that a single technique is usually not going to be as effective as a series of techniques chained together. We talked about some of the different types of guard. In, in particular, we talked about clamp-based guards in this episode. We talked about micro-transitions, meaning making small fluid movements to continuously keep your opponent off base. We talked about staying loose, meaning that you're not overly tense, uh, especially important when your opponent is attempting to apply Kazushi against you. You want to stay loose. We talked about masking your intentions, because if you telegraph your actions, then your opponent is instinctively going to break against them, and that's going to make it very hard to get Kazushi. And we talked about predictable responses, meaning that uh, for certain actions, your opponent's response is going to be somewhat obvious. And if you can predict that ahead of time, then you can immediately set up the next step in your Kazushi chain. Yeah, and learning how to funnel your opponent into certain certain directions and getting their uh, center of gravity moving in certain directions, that's a skill in itself, and that's mm-hmm. really important. So, and and uh, understanding the predictable reactions from your opponent is you know that's you have to have that to be a high level jiu-jitsu player so don't think about moves guys think about breaking alignment that's our that's kind of our motto absolutely uh so i got a question this one's actually somewhat timely so we were asked by actually a, a friend of the podcast we were asked for advice on how to balance uh, and handle jiu-jitsu versus having your first child so the, this particular person had recently just had their first child and they wanted to know our thoughts on the situation, what type of challenges you encounter, what kind of solutions we've come up with. Mm. Uh, this is very timely for Matt, who is about to have his second. So he's <laughs> Matt might have a very different answer in a few weeks. But for now, Matt, I mean, what are your thoughts? What, what is the solution that I have? Well, for basically, after I had a child, <laughs> I made jujitsu my job. Yeah. That's actually a really good. <laughs> That's point. my answer. Uh, yeah, and and you know I've seen definitely there's guys at the club that have kids and they they make it to the gym and then there's guys that have kids and they their attendance drops off considerably. You know if you if you if you're a, if you're a woman or husband has the ability to. Uh, help you, you know, do the things that you still want to do and supports you, then hopefully you can still find ways to get to the gym. I know that it can be difficult, uh, but having a really understanding partner who knows how important something like jujitsu is for you is that's, that's huge. So it is up to you. Obviously we want to spend a lot of time with our kids and and family and whatnot, but it's uh, hopefully you have a supportive partner that can that can kind of make that uh, a reality for you. Yeah, I, 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 to Matt's point, I mean, if jiu-jitsu does become your job, it's kind of hard for your partner to tell you you can't go because you got to go to work. <laughs> exactly. So that's one answer. Uh, but additionally, you know, from from my perspective, it was very important for us to both just be very upfront, even before we had our, our child, about what to expect, how this was going to impact our life, how we, how we would manage our schedules in the future so that we could both make sure that we're, we're fairly distributing parenting duties and one person's not carrying the whole brunt of the thing, yeah. uh, but also making sure that the two of us still have time to do what we want to do. So in, in my case, you know, I, um, I'm i not 
definitely not going to be able to train every single day of the week. Uh, not like I used to when I was younger, but we've worked out a schedule where on certain days I, you know, I do jujitsu after work and I do it on the weekends. And then on other days, I basically take the baby for the full day or for the evening and I give my wife the time off to do, uh, to do her work or to do whatever she wants to do. And then we kind of just have different days where I, you know, on some days I can do jujitsu or whatever I want. And on some days she can also do jujitsu. I mean, you might also be able to, once your, your kid is older, you know, at some point they might want to start training as well, but that's going to take some time, right? Uh, for when you have a newborn, it's uh, quite, or even a, just a toddler, it's, it's quite different. And a lot of it comes down to just coming up with an arrangement with your partner that is fair to both parties. What you don't want is a situation where you basically convince your partner to cave. And, and, and or there's you, resentment. Yeah, yeah. And we're like, you are doing whatever you want, but your partner is not able to do what your partner wants, right? Because eventually that's going to create resentment. So just because you have successfully convinced your partner to let you train seven days a week, that's not necessarily a good thing. <laughs> yeah. And, and also, um, my, my recommendation is, you know, uh, you can always go back to jujitsu. You can't always enjoy the time with your kids, especially when they're a baby. And mm-hmm. I'll tell you right now that, uh, like, this is like the most magical time in my life. Right now I have a two year old and I have a new baby coming as well. You, uh, you don't necessarily want to miss these moments for jujitsu. Um, and I, that's why I, that's literally why I made jujitsu my job is because I knew that I would have to choose between a career jujitsu and family. So I eliminated my, uh, <laughs> I just modified my career yeah. to jujitsu, um, which opened up a lot of time right now because now I get paid to work out. So, yeah. you know, and, and so actually a really good strategy yeah exactly and and i had to do that because i knew that uh you know between cooking and jujitsu i really didn't want to be uh i didn't want to leave my jujitsu life behind so i did literally make that switch i know that's not possible for anyone uh for everyone but um just realize that these moments with your with your newborn child are are very magical and and you should try to enjoy them because they're over very quickly and also uh if there is times when maybe you can only get out once a week or once every two weeks or whatever um don't get down on yourself don't don't you know don't feel like oh i'm missing all this time remember that you can still mentally drill you can still study and when you do get out on the mats just cherish that time that you get on the mats because it's not going to be like this forever you know you'll be you will get to a point where uh you will get to train more and and right now is you have other responsibilities being a parent is is uh it's a lot of work so you you know as long as you have a supporting partner and you have priorities and you have a positive mindset and you don't get depressed about you know maybe not training every single day you're going to be just fine yeah yeah consistency like you said matt is the most important thing even if you can only train once every week at least you're training and at least you're staying consistent and you haven't just dropped off completely and to your point there are other things that you can do to keep sharp um you know you can you can watch tutorials you can read jujitsu books you can mentally drill things that we've talked about in the past as long as jujitsu has some mind space in your brain and it it is kind of a permanent resident there you'll find your way back onto the mat as long as that's what you want to do and it is totally okay to acknowledge that jujitsu is not the number one priority in your life i mean i I know we all love jujitsu but like it's totally fine if uh, something happens and you have to spend some time off the mats or you have to cut your training time like no one should judge you for that we've all been there it happens to everybody and it is okay if you have other things in your life going on other than pajama wrestling (laughs) yeah exactly and um 
yeah, like athletes go through injuries, athlete things come up where you miss time on the mats. Doesn't mean you can't improve. Mentally drill, study, you know, watch jujitsu and, and imagine what you would do in those moments and, and you're still gonna find that you're making improvements even though you're not on the mats. And then when you do get to the mats, enjoy it yeah. and and don't take it for granted. Yeah, and I mean by the time that your kid is, you know, two, you can probably do some light sweeps on your baby. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm like always, always butterfly sweeping my baby all the time. Oh, I'll, I'll give you a little tip um, with the, because you are going to need to eventually brush your toddler's teeth. The rear triangle where you isolate one head and arm is a really good strategy for that. Matt, this this all sounds good and it makes sense, but I really want to know how would John Danaher describe this particular technique? <laughs> <laughs> now, let's understand something, Stephen. A toddler's head and arm must be fully isolated before we can brush the molars, canines, and the front teeth. Let's first isolate the head and arm, grab the toothbrush. I don't know where I'm going with this. <laughs> I actually did want to do a funny video like that, but uh, I don't know. But I'm serious uh, actually about the body triangle with, yeah. with the toddler because you are going to find that controlling kids brushing their teeth is very difficult so yeah if you can eliminate an arm with the body <laughs> triangle it actually is extremely effective yeah you know the body triangle i don't really use it so much in sparring because you kind of have to have longer legs or be against a smaller opponent to use it in sparring but let me tell you against a baby <laughs> deadly technique works every time the body triangle is like a it's like it's just like baby lockdown they can't get out of it exactly i i was actually shown a technique from from uh like this baby book about how to brush your kids teeth and basically you you put them in between your legs uh uh feet facing away and then you use your legs to cover their arms but you're not really practicing good uh that's not good alignment it's not though. it's not you're not breaking their alignment or isolating levers that's only working because you're doing it on a two-year-old like that would yeah. never work in real sparring right but a body triangle now there's a real technique it probably wouldn't work on a newborn either now that i think about it because their heads are so floppy but <laughs> yeah. but definitely a two-year-old where they have like rigidity in their spine and they actually resist body triangle is not only is it a effective way to brush the teeth but you're going to definitely get your reps in as well so yeah 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 just remember that rib crush submissions are illegal <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, in all seriousness, uh, you know, so the formative years for a kid or, you know, at, at that age and you don't want to miss that. You know, you if you aren't around because you're doing hobbies and stuff when your your kid is that young, it kind of sets the tone, I think, for the and th I'm not a psychologist or, a, you know, I'm not an expert, but it feels to me like if you're not around for those early years because you're off doing pajama wrestling, you know, it kind of sets the tone for the kind of relationship that you're going to have. And yeah. during those formative years, you want to be there with your kid. No one's going to judge you if you reduce your training or even stop your training schedule so that you can spend time with your family especially with the new baby yeah like when you had your kid you missed a lot of training oh yeah and I, then, I took a year and a half off but then you came back more reju more rejuvenated and hungry to to train and to learn more than ever that i've seen you yeah i i took a year and a half off and i came back and i was way more motivated i it was like having kind of like a clean slate like it's it's easy to have beginner's mind when you've been gone for a year and a half because everything is kind of fresh again right so it gives you the opportunity to challenge things that maybe you were doing before and not really thinking about and at, you know after putting a lot of space between yourself and your practice you come back and you realize well maybe actually I wasn't doing things the right way or there are some other things that I should change about my game and it, it gives you a really fresh perspective too so taking time off is not always a bad thing plus you could 
heal up old injuries like there's tons mm-hmm. of positives to take away if it is you know we like you said we all love jujitsu and any if i if i go like two days without training i start going nuts but but there is positives to take away from from missing time on the mats and you can always come back so don't ever feel like oh everyone at the gym's getting better than me and i'm just getting left behind here you know you, you the 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 magic of having a child is is it's one of the greatest joys in life it's way better than jujitsu. Definitely yeah. enjoy those those years and then get back on the mats whenever you can. Absolutely. Well, I think that was a really great chat for a lot of reasons, Matt. Hope everyone enjoyed it. As always, any feedback, questions, comments, you guys know how to reach us. We look forward to your questions. They really help us build up the quality of these episodes. So please don't be shy with that feedback. Uh, reach out to us on Facebook, Twitter, email, however, and we'll talk to you next time. This is John Danaher saying goodbye. <laughs>